Blog Talk Radio. November 27th, 2010. I'm your host, Wesley Gray, coming to you live from New York City at 6 o'clock Eastern Time. And our show today will feature the internationally known Dr. Maladome Patrice Somme with an interview that was hosted by Sarah Van Gilder and with excerpts from Remembering Our Life's Purpose. We will also focus on this being the National Month of Diabetes Awareness. But for now, I begin each show by acknowledging and thanking the One Most High God and for allowing this show to take place. I thank my ancestors. I send blessings, love, and respect to my elders, my mother-in-law, my siblings, and my lovely wife. Good evening, everyone. Alafia hetetu, namaste, shalom, assalamu alaikum, Peace and blessings to all. I extend greetings of peace, and I recognize the divinity within all of you. Um, last Saturday, I, I read from an interview that Dr. Mullen, Dr. Somme had with Mrs. Uh, Stephanie Marone, and that was regarding mental illness and the way that Dr. Somme and his elders and the people of his village regard mental illness and how they treat it and the relationship that they have with people who have that particular so-called disease. However, today I will read from an interview that Dr. Somme had with Ms. Sarah Van Gilder. And this interview regards remembering our life's purpose. However, I will continue next week with reading excerpts from The Water and the Spirit. As some of you know, I did interview Dr. Maladome Somme on my show last month, which was October 23rd of 2010. And at that time, he talked about the healing attributes of the African drum and its relationship with our ancestors, family, and collective community. And I would like to suggest that you log into that show, which is on my blog talk radio site, and click on the archives to listen to that segment when you get a chance. Now, the the special announcement that I uh, have been mentioning for the last couple of shows is about a new program that I have created, and it's called the Million Home Drum Network. It came to me from spirit uh, that every family within the African diaspora and other communities that are committed to healing and reconnecting with our African roots should have an African drum in the home. The goal is to have at least one million homes with drums by the end of the year 2011. And the Million Man Drum, the Million Home Drum Network, that was a Freudian slip, uh, the website is currently under construction. However, if you would like to register and become one of the founding members, please send me an email to millionhomedrumnetwork at gmail.com. That's the word million, not the number. M-I-L-L-I-O-N, home, drum, network, at gmail.com, and I will keep you posted. If you're interested in purchasing an African drum just in time for the holidays, you know, the season of, of the holidays right now, you can feel free to go to my website, which is at www.drumsofchange.com, or just go to www.drumsofchange.com. Either one of those URL uh, domains will work to get you to that particular site. And, oh, yes, you will be able to purchase a drum via my associate membership with Amazon.com. And with some drums priced, believe it or not, as low as $29, which includes shipping and handling. I call these drums starter drums, which make a perfect gift for your youngsters. And, of course, those of you who are just uh, uh, indulging in playing drums for the first time in your life. 
And for those of you who are experienced and professional drummers, of course, we have drums uh, on that site which are, are comparable to any other store that you can go to uh, within your particular lo local community to get a well-made, well-manufactured and craft uh, uh, type of African drum, along with other drums such as kungus and trap sets and so forth. But right now we're focusing on the African drum. So, of course, I recommend that you go to your local African drum store in your neighborhood so that you can be supportive of the merchants uh, of your local community and also the drums that you purchase from my site and other um, uh, venues uh, financially support the brothers and sisters in Africa who make them and export them here and abroad. So please take a look at uh, the YouTube video on the front page of my site, uh, Drums of Change, Drums of Spirit, and there's a video which was done during President Obama's inauguration in honor of our ancestors and also his becoming the first African-American president. And I talk about on that video, I talk about the African drum and why I'm committed to promoting the drum. Uh, that's part of my ministry. I would also like to add that my wife and I were honored to have Maladoma as a house guest at our home last year for about a week, and we soaked in so much of his knowledge and wisdom of African ritual and the healing traditions of the Gara people. Uh, regarding his book, of Water and the Spirit, as always, I invite you to call in with your comments about the book itself, or any general comments regarding this book or any other books that have been written by Dr. Somay. Uh, for an example, a question could be, do you believe in the principles of ritual, magic, and initiation from an African perspective, or any other cultural tradition? Have you had experiences with any of these with any of these traditions, and are you involved in a religious or a spiritual path which does not recognize these traditions? Does, it, does the belief in ritual of magic and initiation conflict with your family values or upbringing? So please feel free to share your point of view. There is no right or wrong answers with regard to this. And on this show, everyone's thoughts and opinions are respected. Uh, this show will also inform you of practical tips for enhancing your overall quality of life spirit, mind, and body. I am not a medical doctor, and, and I'm not giving any type of medical advice in any way. But what I do share is what personally works for me and my family, and I hope that you will find some benefit. As with all things, please check with the licensed medical professional before embarking on any changes in their health routine. Now, I will take a short break, and when I return, I will begin by reading the interview that Dr. Maladomi Somi had with Ms. Sarah Van Gilder. Uh, the chat room is open, so please feel free to enter and interact with each other. And for those of you who are listening in on the Internet, the call number is 323-927-1412. And if you wish to speak with us, please remove your headsets and stand away from your computer modem to avoid feedback. I hope you enjoy the show. And I'll be back in a moment. by Ms. Sarah Van Gilder, um, I think it was last year, not too long ago, and they concentrated on the concept of remembering our life's purpose. And so many shared with her that there was a time when all people were in indigenous people on some part of the earth. But in the last half of the millennium, the migration of people from region to region and from countryside to city broke many of the ties that we used to have with one another into the land and water that supported us. Those who didn't make that move, the indigenous people of the world, can help us remember that it, well, what it was like to be connected to the environment and to each other in a community. And this is a viable uh, lesson not because we would necessarily want to return to the way that we used to live, but because the facets of that connectedness can contribute greatly as we create 
a sustainable way of life. One person who is helping the people of the West better understand what indigenous cultures have to offer is Maladoma Somme from the Dakara tribe in Bukuna Faso, the region of West Africa. Maladoma was born in 1956 and was taken from his family at the age of five by missionaries and sent to a Jesuit boarding school. But at the age of 20, he returned to Dano, his village. He was able to speak his, he was not able actually to speak his native tongue and unlearned in the ways of his people and only his mother recognized him at the time that he came back. He was filled with contempt and anger towards the Jesuits for the treatment that he had received at their hands and toward his village from handing him away. Determined to spiritually and emotionally reconnect with his tribe, Maladoma urged the village elders to allow him to undergo the arduous process of initiation, a rite of passage usually undertaken at a much earlier age. At this much consideration, they agreed. So Maladoma passed the six-week-long ordeal and enthusiastically was welcomed back into the tribe. He later went on to the Sorbonne in Paris, where he earned a doctorate in political science in Brandeis University in Boston, where he received a PhD in literature. He now writes and speaks about the lessons of the indigenous world and leads workshops for men and for men and women on initiation, ritual, and healing. Maladoma has two books that are coming out this year, Ritual, Power, Healing, and Community, to be published by Swan Raven Books and his autobiography, which will be published by Jeremy Potchard Incorporated this fall. Maladoma can be reached at 2298 Cornell Street, Palo Alto, California. I'm sorry to strike that out. He's since moved from California. He now lives in Florida. But the number that he can be reached at is 415-493-4073. Now I'm going to quote the interview, or should I say read the interview that Sarah had with Maradona. This is Sarah speaking. From what I've heard, Maradona, I've heard of your life as a child and you had some very negative experiences at the hands of Europeans. Maladoma says, oh, absolutely. Sarah says, and yet, you don't seem to hold any bitterness now. Maladoma says, well, it would be an exaggeration to say that I don't hold any bitterness, but the process that my own culture allowed me to go through released a lot of disastrous anger, Sarah says. Well, what was it that helped you get over that, that anger and bitterness? Maladoma responds by saying, the principal present my culture provided me was a much greater sense of my own identity, an identity that was not defined but rather remembered. It reminded me of a much greater trust in myself, a greater hope for a future, and a very grounded walk in my day-to-day -day life that does not have to wait for outside affirmation. My name, Anadoma, means to seek friendship with strangers. And my elders told me, as long as I do what I'm destined to do, that is, to be kind, a, a kind of a linking agent between cultures, I don't have to worry about where to find the words or where to find the meaning to convey to an audience. Ms. Sarah says, well, how do you go about being that linking agent, Maladoma? And he responds by saying, it's essentially connected with what the elders of the indigenous world dream of, to see cultures from, from all over come to a point of mutual understanding and respect so that the wounds created by the experiences with each other can come to a healing place. And what I'm doing is actually on behalf of those elders it is inspired by their spirituality, how they see themselves as humans in nature, how they view their own social system. It entails a lot of things, such as speaking about community medicine, building communities, starting with the individual's identity and community identity. Much of my teaching is a simple 
validations of people's feelings, visions, and experiences that they cannot find a context for because the context in which those experiences and visions are happening is systematically postmodern. For people in the West to see somebody who is from a still existing indigenous place who can validate and explain the, the realities that they've been experiencing at that personal level makes all the difference. Sarah says, can you tell me something about the way children are brought up in your culture? Monodoma states, well, first of all, children are looked upon as mature people who are in a state of physical adjustment. Normally, six or 12 weeks into pregnancy, there is a ritual that is led by a group of advisors who get together with the pregnant woman. The purpose of the ritual is to inquire about the identity of the soul who is waiting to be born. And those attending ask the baby, who are you? What are you coming here for? What can we do for you? As people who have already arrived, normally the mother takes on a very uh, shrill, thin voice known as the spirit voice to respond to those questions. Based on the answers they get, they design a name for the baby. At birth, the newborn's first cry is taken very seriously. It is not considered a cry. It is looked at as a signal that the new soul has finally arrived and is crying out to see if there, is, if there are other souls. And for that reason, those attending the birth bring in other children who are supposed to scream back at the crying newborn. It's very common to find a mother at night who hasn't seen her eight-month-old baby for the past day. She doesn't know where he is. She just knows that he's somewhere in one of the many houses, and she knows he's safe. And more often than not, there's another child who stays with that mother while her own child is gone somewhere. This is a very common practice in the villages. It gives a child a very broad sense of belonging. So children grow up very, very aware of what a village is about. Everybody chips in to help raise a child. It's very rare that a child feels isolated or develops psychological problems. Everyone is very aware of where he or she belongs. Sarah responds, you mentioned earlier the initiation process. Why is this so important? Donald Dumont responds by saying, growth itself makes one forget about who one is. So initiation is something that is designed to help one remember one's origin and the very purpose of one's occurrence on this side of reality. That is to say, why one was born. This is why initiation is, is especially magical. So a person who is not initiated is considered a child, no matter how old that person is, because that person will not be able to recall his or her purpose. Without initiation, the bridge between youth and adulthood can never be crossed, and a person's heart is open to anything, to being shot down by any kind of energy going around. In the village, to not be initiated is to be a non-person. Sarah responds, can you say more about the sense of interconnectedness that exists in your village? Maladoma says, well, when you live as one family for a long time, you come to feel that there is a kind of connection between individuals that is not just physical or parental or relational, but is a connection at the level of the soul. When I go home, things get pointed out to me about myself that I thought were totally hidden, but the elders, through their divinational process, can point to things that I did not require me to go through a cleansing ritual. And this tells me that when people are linked together at that level, geography is no longer an issue. What's good about this is that the individual never feels isolated from the rest of the community, and no buyer is higher than anyone else, so there is no class. There is something very interesting about the classless society. It's one that allows itself to be led by the spirit. There is a greater tendency to assist those who are older and slower, and it prevents people from feeling cut off, or left out, off track. 
One of the things that I've been able to communicate to my elders that has led to a great deal of disgust on their part is the fact that there are homeless people in this country. To them, it is impossible that somebody could be homeless. They're surprised and appalled because they don't understand what happens when the meaning of community is not carried out. And Sarah responds by saying, what do you think the West can learn from the kind of community that you've been describing? Well, Obama says, in the West, what I've noticed is that what is called a community is more a conglomeration of individuals who are so self-centered and isolated that there is a kind of suspicion of each other, simply because there isn't enough knowledge of the other to remove that suspicion. So trust becomes the challenge to actual community. It is a very tricky thing because I think that the capitalism encourages this kind of isolation is a good environment for commercialism. commercialism. And there is a relationship between a consumer society and these individuals who are defined by isolation from one another in private space, in private ownership. The community that I'm talking about is one in which respect for the person is based upon the person's irreplaceable position in the world, delivered from the knowledge that as an improved project was the reason for one's birth commands, respect for the sacred. In the absence of initiation as a remembering and transforming experience, the modern world was, has created career counseling. In the village, the houses are built with entrances that are doorless. This is the first sign that people have a very, very different sense of one another. At this time, I, I'd like to say that I'm enjoying reading this particular interview and also, I'm enjoying having the company of my wife here with me in the studio, uh, Spirit Change. And uh, I would think it would be apropos for me to this, uh, introduce you to Spirit Change and uh, to say hello there. Hello, everyone. Peace and blessings. It's good to be here as usual on my husband's show. He always has such uplifting, informative, exciting, and healing Topics. The topic today with ritual is a big one for me because, uh, I don't know, you, you introduced me, but now I'm going to be like talking for an hour. <laughs> so I don't know, ahead, I don't know what you want me to say. Feel, feel free. We can always continue with this uh, tomorrow or the next well, day. Well, I want to hear the rest of it, too. I, okay. This is so good. Now, some of, the, um, some of the things that you just mentioned from reading the article and I, I've never read this article, but I'd I like to reread it after, sure. you know, later if you let me read it. Absolutely. I would like to read it because I'm listening to things such as in the Dugara village, you're not considered an adult unless you have had your initiation ritual. And also as far as the ritual when the child is born or actually even, be, even when the child is in the womb. Mm -hmm. There are certain rituals that are done, and it's so important because I'm comparing that to, and um, even myself personally, mm -hmm. growing up in the West, we did not have ritual. Mm -hmm. And from being heavily involved in ritual since I've been on this journey as a priestess, mm -hmm. we, we have been shortchanged. Absolutely. We have missed out, and I can't put it any clearer than that. We have missed out. And I know a lot of times when I say to you, oh, I wish I had done this, I wish I had done that, you say, well, no, don't wish, you know, just go forward and everything. But I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm saying it in an introspective way. Look at what we, our children, our future children, would be able to do as far as healing the world, healing our families, healing ourselves, mm -hmm. if we were introduced to ritual. And that is something that I will be promoting mm -hmm. in a big time way. Absolutely. And um, I'm so glad that you brought up this interview and that you um, chose this topic for the show. I would like to mention the first experience that I can possibly recall, and I, I hope, you know, I encourage those of you who are listening, call us and tell us, what's the first experience that you've had with ritual? Because mm -hmm. I remember the first experience that I had with ritual 
was, oh boy, I'm going over 30 years ago now. 30 years ago. So I was I was somewhere in my 20s, okay? And um, it was the first time that I had seen the ritual of pouring libation. Ah, uh, yes. And I was amazed because we never did anything like that in my house. My parents didn't, you know, do anything like that. We were, you know, we were raised Christian. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know anything about pouring libation and the ancestors. And, and of course, back then, our families were dealing very much with the aftermath of slavery. Mm-hmm. So ritual and libation and all that was taken away from them, and even if they were aware of it and wanted to do it, they were shying away from it because they were dealing with what they had to deal with at that time to be accepted and survive. Mm-hmm. So we got to give them those, you know, those kudos. They basically everybody did what they had to do. Right. Okay. So that's why I'm saying when I'm when I'm saying, oh, you know, I wish we had this. I wish we had that. I'm not saying it in like a you know, a mourning way, like, oh, I wish we had this. I'm saying it in an introspective way, like, wow, Mm -hmm. what if we had had these things? And now that we do have them and we are, not that we have them now, we always have them, but now that they're being brought to the forefront of our consciousness and we're constantly evolving and we're meeting people and we're meeting teachers and we're teaching as well and we're continuously learning, we have that responsibility to pass that information on because we didn't have it when we were 10 years old or 5 years old. Or there are children now, you know, we're, we're blessed to have children in our midst, in our circle, who are toddlers. Like when we attend the Bembe or, or another situation, um, they're toddlers, and they know yes. ritual. They are toddlers, yes. okay? So I'm, I'm just grateful that, that we even have these, these teachers that are coming up behind us that we're giving and taking from, and they're giving and taking from, and we're all giving and taking from each other, and that's what's helping us to heal and helping us to evolve. So the topic that you have today was uh, with ritual, the interview with our brother, um, Dr. Somay, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a powerful thing that it's something that I would like to continue on an ongoing basis mm-hmm. and add to it and whoever, whoever would like instruction in ritual and teaching, whoever would like to um, share their experience was maybe maybe you can recall the first time you participated in ritual. Call us, tell us about it. Absolutely. Let the listeners know what's going on. Share the knowledge. Absolutely. So so thank you. I'm I'm just talking and talking, so you have to stop me. No, that's okay. Oh. No, no, I I appreciate your input as always, and uh, we can't talk about this enough. You know, one show, two, three, ten shows will not do this enough justice in terms of covering. So we're just you know uh, delving into the the, uh, the tip of the iceberg, or, or the, not the iceberg, the tip of the mountain, as it were. And uh, we're going to be traversing this, this path uh, for quite a while, even as we go into other, other subject matter. It's always going to bring us back to ritual. You know, I was thinking, as you were mentioning about ritual, that in our, in our Western society, we have rituals such as the fraternal organizations, which are um, Greek. Of course, more, of course. You know, we have certain societies, which used to be secret societies, but now with the advent of the Internet, they're not as secret, so as secret anymore. <laughs> such as the Freemasonry community, sure. the Knights of Columbus, and so forth. And then, of course, we've always had uh, within our various communities, especially those brothers and sisters who were born in Africa, not just necessarily descendants like we are, but uh, who practiced their ritual behind closed doors and they kept it secret. But recently, though, uh, those of us who are descendants of Africans, descendants of African slaves, are now able to learn and participate in these so-called rituals that were not really readily available. And that's exciting, because now those of us who have the proclivity are now able to uh, not only be initiated, but become priests themselves and high priests and priestesses and, and be able to eventually initiate others within our community. Absolutely, and it's so necessary. Mm-hmm. It is such a necessary healing event 
I um, recall, and I, I don't recall where I read this or heard this, because after a while you just amass so much information, you don't remember who said what. Right. All you know is you heard it somewhere, right? But do you recall the statement, your culture is your power? Absolutely. Okay. And your culture, your culture is your weapon, is another uh, phrase that used meaning the same thing. Okay. But I heard that going by uh, Sister's Place, over on Jefferson Avenue. Okay, but that's not right. where I heard it. So it's, it's just around. Yeah. It's, it's just around. There. Yes, there's many takes of it. Well, here's yeah. the power in your culture because we're talking about the culture of the Dagara mm-hmm. in Burkina Faso. Right, mm-hmm. and the ritual of that of becoming. Mm-hmm. I don't know offhand if Maladoma so may ascribe a name to the ritual, but if he didn't, I would be so um, mm-hmm. forward as to ascribe the name, the ritual of becoming, because they in the Dagoma culture, you're not recognized as an adult unless you've gone through this rite of passage. And, and you go through this rite of passage as a youngster. As a youngster. And as he says, uh, the youngster in the community is considered an adult. Yes. Who's actually going through an adjustment. An adjustment period. An adjustment period. Yes. But as soon as they uh, are children and they go through ritual at a very early age, which, by the way, could be li- is life-threatening if it's not completed appropriately. One could lose one's life. This is how serious this ritual is. Yes. Uh, that that child was able to traverse that particular path and that challenge, if they succeed, they're an adult. So uh, that says a lot in terms of the whole concept of uh, indigenous uh, communities which have uh, carried on these traditions for eons, as it were, you know, unchanged, unadulterated, or unaltered, as it were. But anyway, uh, thank you so much. We're going to get back to you talking and sharing some thoughts, but I think the audience would appreciate if I got back to the interview. And so would I. And, and, <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, I was just getting into, I didn't complete the response that Maladoma had uh, respond to uh, Sarah when she says, what do you think the West can learn from the kind of community that you've been describing? And Maladoma says, I repeat, in the West, what I've noticed is, is what is called a community that is more a conglomeration of individuals who are so self-centered and isolated that there's a kind of suspicion of the other, simply because it isn't enough knowledge, or there isn't enough knowledge of the other to remove that suspicion. So trust becomes the challenge to actual community. Uh, it is a very tricky thing because I think that capitalism encourages this kind of isolation as a good environment for commercialism. And, and there is a, a relationship between a consumer's society and these individuals who are defined by isolation from one another and private space and private ownership. The community that I'm talking about is one in which respect for the person is based upon that person's irreplaceable position in the world to live with the knowledge that an approved project was the reason for one's birth commands respect for the sacred. In the absence of initiation as a remembering and transforming experience, the modern world has created career counseling. In the village, the homes are built with entrances that are doorless. That is the first sign that the people have a very, very different sense of one another. When I go home and and, and I want to take a nap, there are some questions as to what is wrong with me. And if I want to spend a little time by myself, everyone wonders if something is the matter with me. In the village, everything is at the same time private and public. I don't think that there is any need to create in the West the kind of community that there is in the indigenous world, but there is certainly a need to come closer together and to learn about each other sufficiently as to bridge the gap that separates us. And what flashes to my mind, honey, is when Maladoma spent a week with us, and he was in uh, the space that he was making his temporary home, and we were leaving him 
uh, for a few hours, and we noticed that our French doors were open. And, and he was just sort of so laid back and refreshed and whatnot. And we looked upstairs and we said with an alarm, what are those doors doing open? This what is New York. Someone, someone might try to come in. Yeah, this so, is New York City. So indeed, I just leave the doors right. open. So I went upstairs. I went upstairs and I said, Brother Maladoma, he can't do this. And he says, what? I says, and he says, you're, you're coming back, aren't you? I said, yes. But uh, we don't want anyone else to come back before we do. I know. He's coming home and taking him away. Yeah. So he reluctantly, I shouldn't say reluctantly, but he uh, very, uh, with a critical look on his face, uh, allowed me to close the doors. And I, I, I told him, I said, but go in the backyard if you really want to get some fresh air, feel free to go back there. And that was an interesting uh, experience. So... Uh, there are questions that says what is what you're talking about goes into the very heart of Western culture. Privacy and freedom are held very dear to many people. Maladoma responds, uh, the sense of privacy people have in the West is a very lonely privacy. It is a very frightening privacy. The freedom that goes along with it is of pretty much the same uh, nature. It is a freedom that is weighty that is a burden. Within the context of real community, privacy and freedom are not lost. Community provides the greatest sense of freedom, a freedom based on a deep understanding of each individual's purpose. When people lose their soul's essence, they have to borrow the vision of some ideologist crippled with separatists and visions of freedom. And Sarah says, well, what do you think it would be to take to convince Westerners that it's in their interest to give up some of their privacy and isolation. Maladoma says, well, privacy, as it has been unfolding, is excruciatingly painful to the individual. The individual can no longer afford to live by values such as the systematic accumulation of material goods as the yardstick by which to measure happiness. The spiritual thirst that is latent and everybody can never come to a place of fulfillment unless people begin to think of each other as potential brothers and sisters. Otherwise, they can never reach on the inside the same level of wealth that they've reached outside. In this case, the dying indigenous cultures all over the world have something to offer. Not something that will help them survive, but something that at least will survive them. Because modernism has stabbed mortally every indigenous culture. Sarah says, when you look into the future, what do you think are humanity's prospects? And Monodoma responds by saying, oh, well, it's not good. Compulsive denial, arrogant paternalism, and hollow pretense have become viral infections endangering the future. The direction of the world, at least seen from an indigenous point of view, is like something that is in direct collision course with catastrophe. And the more an indigenous person understands his culture, the more he becomes baffled by the direction that it's heading. But in the middle of that are people who are waking up slowly, people whom I like to call the new shamans, the new healers, the new energy, the repair people. So, at a spiritual level, we're witnessing something extremely fascinating. People are becoming more aware of the values of nature, are becoming more respectful, more sensitive to the purity of the origin. These people are those whom I call modern indigenous persons. And these are the people who are gradually forming what I call the new tribal order. This is to say a brand new unity, a brand new cycle, circle of people who are living by the very values that modernity has to do away with in order to affirm itself. As more people join, it's going to build up into an energy field, a force field, strong enough to act as an antibiotic, a force field capable of sustaining a much brighter, healthier situation in the future. I think that this last decade of the 20th century is very pivotal in that sense. And I'm really fortunate probably to be 
in the midst of it. Hmm. So what do you think about that projection? I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged too because I'm still uh, I'm still stuck in my statements about how when we were growing up we didn't have ritual. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to actually qualify the statement we didn't have ritual. We have ritual. Absolutely. But not this type of ritual. Oh, yeah. Okay? We have ritual because I know we said the Lord's Prayer every night before we went to bed. We had ritual. Mm-hmm. We said blessing before we ate dinner. And at that time, I grew up in a time where families, the majority of families, we actually all sat down and had dinner together at the same time. Right. That's not something that's happening in 2010 the way it was in 1950 or 60 and so on mm-hmm. because of something that you mentioned in the interview, capitalism. Mm -hmm. Okay, people are chasing the dollar Mm -hmm. nowadays. And a lot of times, okay, it's out of necessity, especially in this recessionary period. Mm -hmm. It's out of necessity. So people are taking, taking on two and three different jobs to make up for the salary of the one job that they have that they were laid off on, Mm -hmm. that they were laid off from. So that's something that's happening. So, of course, you're not going to have time to now sit sit down at 6 p.m. every evening and have dinner with the family and, you know, watch, you know, watch a sitcom or something with the children after dinner or whatever you might have done. But we did have ritual. We had things that we did ritualistically, but as far as the extent that they reached our spirits and our souls and affected our consciousness and our spirituality, we had what they what we had. It was a foundation to bring us to where we are now, which we you know definitely have to be grateful for any type of spiritual discipline that we may have had. But now we're enlarging our well, parameters. Absolutely. Uh, we just got finished having a ritual a couple of days ago called Thanksgiving. I'll tell you why we have that one because we didn't have it. We didn't celebrate. Right, right, right. Right, we don't celebrate, not here enough. I'm looking at you quizzically like, what ritual did we do? But our community, I should say, because there's a spirit change in myself, uh, Wesley, uh, we do not uh, uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. We we give Thanksgiving uh, every day. day. (laughs) Uh, The moment we wake up in the morning, uh, I give thanks for being able to uh, breathe and to be alive and to be healthy, uh, and we go through our ritual every morning, sometimes together, and individually in terms of our ritual of prayer and, and um, meditation. And uh, indeed, there are many of us who are unconsciously performing ritual, such as celebrating Thanksgiving, without knowing uh, how Thanksgiving evolved. I'm not going to be get political right now with this. Uh, but indeed, it behooves all of us to uh, investigate how did Thanksgiving evolve, uh, that celebration. You know, uh, the indigenous people here, the so-called Indians, uh, our Native Americans, who many of us of African uh, descent are part Native American, we have to go through our story, not his story, but our story, and really investigate uh, the origins of all the holidays that we celebrate. Uh, yesterday was so-called Black Friday, and, of course, ritual, which was sent around commercialism commercialism and consumerism, getting goods uh, at a drastic discount. But, however, the flip side is that we were actually getting goods at a, a price point in which they should be sold anyway, because most of the market that we deal with, they're marking up goods anywhere from not only 100%, that's low, it's how much three, four, five, six hundred, eight hundred percent above uh, their value. But that's another program. I'd just like to get back in full circle and get back to this initiation and remembering one's purpose. Uh, the initiation process uh, varies, uh, as Maladoma states. This is, not, this is beyond the interview now. It's, it's a, a quote from Maladoma. The initiation process varies from culture to culture. For the Dagara, initiation is intended to help young people on the verge of adulthood, to remember their purpose on earth. Initiation is a six-week-long journey into the magical world, 
It begins when families walk their young ones to the outskirts of the village and surrender them to the wilderness after stripping them of their clothes. The young ones walk into the bush naked and scared, a condition necessary for the ritual remembering. Throughout the ordeal, there is no food except that which can be found in the bush. I was told to sit in front of a tree and to gaze at it. The hot, typical sun boiled, boiled me, ants bit me, and I was blinded by sweat. Every so often, an elder would come back and check on me. The experience was painful and boring, but it all culminated in a vision in which the tree disappeared and I saw a woman emerge from it. She was familiar as the mother of some sacred caretaker. Whoever she was, the reunion was very emotional, and the experience ended with me hugging the tree and weeping. I could invoke Western psychology to explain the whole experience away, including the reaction of satisfaction of the elders, but I won't because my respect for trees and nature begun after this experience, the first of a series of magical journeys. What is important is that exercises like this weakened my resistance to the dream world and the supernatural to the point where I was able to consciously journey into an underworld that is only acceptable in the West as a fairy tale. But the experience itself registered in my own consciousness as a disappearance of my own physicality. In other words, in the underworld, one has a shape, but that shape is no longer available to the physical sight. By the time one gets back to the world, the body registers things unlike before. The underworld is a place where one encounters one's own identity prior to being born into a community of humans. It is the ideal place for remembering one's energetic identity as, one, as one's life's project. Also, one remains from the underworld or returns from the underworld with the, something which serves as the first medicine, a kind of reference book that you return to whenever you feel the need to refresh your memory of what you're doing here on earth. How it's made accessible to the initiated part of the tribal secret held tightly by elders. But a cave in a mountain can easily become a gateway. Coming out of the underworld alive ends the initiation process. You return to where you had been stripped of your clothes six weeks earlier, and your family and the whole village is there waiting for you. The return to the village is like returning to the human world. It is a warm, comforting, and loving and relaxing experience. Everyone knows that you know, and so you dance your knowledge in front of the whole village and celebrate with your loved ones the recovery of your memory. That ends Maladoma's explanation of the initiation that she experienced it and remembering one's life's purpose. At this time, I'd like to take a short break and return and uh, continue for the last 12 minutes we have remaining of the show. medical doctor and I'm not here to recommend any treatments or make any diagnosis. What I'm here to do is to share information about the health practices in which my family and I engage in and which work for us. And I suggest that before trying anything new that you consult with a licensed medical practitioner. And with that being said, I must just share with you that I use a product which is called Fruit of Vita, which is an energy drink which has several benefits. It happens to assist me in maintaining a comfortable energy level during the day, and it has helped my wife lose unwanted pounds, and, and uh, I'm so proud of her. She's looking so great nowadays, and um, she's actually uh, uh, a recovered, uh, uh, she's recovered from diabetes, and this particular juice has assisted her in that, uh, in that recovery and I'll let her share some things with you about that, being that this is still the month of diabetes uh, awareness. Uh, I'd like to add that you can try a, 
a bottle of Fudovita free of charge. You just have to pay for the shipping. And you can go to my site, which is www.tryfrutavita.com. That's T-R-Y-F-R-U-T-A-V-I-D-A.com forward slash 45522. And if you go to my blog talk site, you can get access to that particular uh, domain name, that URL. I would like to uh, share with you that it was three weeks ago that I completed my 14th New York City Marathon. And by me drinking Fruta Vita, I won't say that it helped me to run the whole marathon, but it also it definitely uh, contributed to my uh, level, of, level of energy in assisting me in running a race which ordinarily would have been very difficult, more so than it was. So I recommend that at least you don't have to run a marathon, but you might want to include in your daily regimen of walking at least a half an hour per day and drinking, if not fruit of either, some type of juice that has antioxidant properties. In other words, a juice that cleanses your blood uh, that is able to affect all the uh, significant organs in your body. Uh, Honey, would you like to share anything with us about uh, your experience with fruit of either? Oh, sure. I'd like to attest to the energy-giving properties that it has especially since um, I'm not and probably never will be a marathon runner like you are, but with the little bit that I do with my 3.5K once a week, mm -hmm. uh, Vida does, in fact, increase your energy level, and that in itself to me is something major. I could talk about the antioxidant properties. I could talk about how it assists in lowering your blood glucose levels. All of that is, in fact, very real, and those are some of the benefits that I get from it, and I'm sure you'll get those same benefits too. But the energy thing, that's a big-ticket item because we're all busy. You know, I, I work full-time. I have a spiritual business. I have an Internet radio show. I, I have, I'm, I'm married, I have, you know, responsibilities. I'm tired, okay? <laughs> so anything that, anything that you can use that gives you the benefit of not only improving your overall health in general, but also giving you that energy that you need to do all of the multitasking that you have to do on a daily basis, and that's exactly what Frutamina does for me. So that's, so I'm really focusing today on the energy part because right. we already talked about diabetes and those other things, but I'm talking strictly energy. Wonderful. And one thing that I want to mention to um, our listeners, and again, it's just for me, when you try it, and I'm being presumptuous saying when you try it because it, it is um, being offered free right now, a full-size bottle, and you just have to pay the shipping and handling. You could look at the link on the show page to do that. But I don't want to do a sales commercial. I want to tell you what it's doing for me. Mm -hmm. um, I want to mention that for me personally, I cannot drink Fruta Vida in the evening because I will be up all night. Now, that doesn't happen to my husband. So that's why I'm saying when you try it, you have to, you have to um, do what works for you. But I'm just saying that to emphasize the level of energy that it improves for me to the point that I can't drink it in the evening because when it's time to go to sleep, I want to go to sleep. <laughs> okay, so I can only drink Fruta Vita in the morning. Absolutely. And then my energy level is good for the entire day. And what I like about it is this is not a drug. This is not a medicine. This is these are antioxidants. These are berries from the rainforest. Yeah, it has the acai berry in it. The acai berry, right. absolutely. It has uh, yerba mate, which is in the caffeine family, but it's not caffeine, but that gives you the energy and kapusha. But uh, everyone knows that acai is a very popular berry. Anyway. Right, so the antioxidant properties, mm -hmm. the energy, and, mm -hmm. and that's what I like about it. Because I have tried, and I know I told you about an experience that I had tried with one of my girlfriends. I have tried different products, and um, you have to be careful about what you use mm -hmm. because you can have contraindications. Absolutely. But with Fruit of Vida, you know, and again, this is just for me, I found that I don't have any contraindications. Mm -hmm. I don't have any problems with it. it. The product does for me 
what it says that it's supposed to do. Absolutely. So that's the best that I can describe it from where I'm sitting. Fantastic. Great. Uh, I'm happy you shared that because uh, uh, it, it doesn't hurt to have someone who uh, not only that you know but who you live with and who's your partner and, and loved one who you can just make a testimonial assessment that, yes, a product that you use has helped her, uh, helped him, someone who's close to you, and you've seen the progress uh, from month to month, year to year. Well, actually, you've been using it for about a year now. Month to month. It hasn't been a year yet. It hasn't been a year yet. And by the way, I may add uh, to the listening audience and remind ourselves that the juice comes from the Amazon. It's, it's been used by the indigenous people. Here we go again. The indigenous people of the Amazon, and by the way, I thought the Amazon was just located in Brazil because this particular juice, uh, the acai berry is indigenous to the uh, community, to the Brazilian community, uh, the rainforest in Brazil, if I may add. Uh, however, I understand that the Amazon runs throughout that area of South America from Brazil into other countries, which I have to do my homework on uh, the next show, and I can be more... Uh, Articulate about the the length of the Amazon and what countries it runs through. So I just thought I'd just add that tidbit. Right now we have about four minutes remaining, and um, I just want to thank you all for coming on uh, and and sharing your time with us uh, this evening and listening in on the show. And I, I hope that you find it found it to be enjoyable and uh, educational and informative and inspirational, if I may add. Um, I will continue uh, with this particular topic Monday evening at the same time at 6 o'clock. So uh, please spread the word that uh, those who, uh, like yourself, who have listened to this show or who will be listening to it in the archives, that the topic uh, will be uh, discussed again uh, this coming Monday, uh, which I believe is the uh, 29th uh, of November at 6 o'clock shop. So uh, those of you who would like to uh, contact me, by the way, regarding the, uh, the pre, the post and post-launching of the Million Home Drum Network, please feel free to email me at wordmillion, M-I-L-L-I-O-N, home drum network at gmail.com. And also, if I may add, uh, I did take, I took a little bit over six hours to run the marathon. I had ran the, the marathon under three hours. I did a 258 marathon at 45 years of age back in 1989. And I'm training now for my 15th marathon, and I'm looking to do a sub-four-hour marathon, even indeed three and a half hours. But if you'd like to have the pleasure, I don't know, if maybe not be the pleasure, but if you'd like to see me running uh, a segment of me running the marathon uh, that just uh, passed just three weeks ago, uh, please email me at the Million Home Drum Network at gmail.com, and I will be able to forward you the URL uh, to that uh, 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 recording of me finishing the marathon and also pictures of me, uh, about 90 saw pictures of me. So without any further ado, I'd like to again thank you. And uh, I look forward to continuing this segment of the Grassroots Holistic Health uh, topic of uh, living your life's purpose. Until then, have a continued blessed weekend, and we'll see you in short time.
Peace and blessings to you all.